AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Trade is over for the week, and we've got a load of perspective put on what happened in the markets. Then we'll head up to Minnesota to figure out which direction northern-grown bushels of corn and soybeans are headed. And then it's time to head south to Missouri for the final stop of the Farm Journal College Roadshow. Live from the nation's rain-soaked and soggy midsection via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, we'll talk with Dan Utek of New Vision Co-op. Later, Dr. Scott Brown from the University of Missouri. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Yeah, thank you. And welcome to the final AgriTalk for this week. I'm going straight to the radar, Davis, because there is some Mm -hmm. severe weather out there. We've got tornado warnings down along the Red River, the uh, Oklahoma-Texas borders. And there are a few spots of severe thunderstorms behind that. But uh, the, the storms are ramping up across the south. Heck, we've got a severe thunderstorm warning in southwest Wisconsin. So... I, the, the system stretches basically from the Oopers up in upper Michigan all the way down to central Texas. It It is a heck of a storm, including they're getting some snow in western Kansas. There's a mix of snow and rain in the Texas panhandle right now. And some areas of some some decent rain in Texas there, that's... That is really welcome to see on the radar. No doubt about that, buddy. Well, and by the looks of my weather map, this storm oh. runs in contiguous fashion all the way from the Gulf of Mexico, clear up through past Toronto and Montreal, all the way up yeah. to whatever that is up in there, the northern Atlantic, I guess you would call it, to where yeah. they just started making up weird names for towns that really you can't pronounce. It goes right. clear across the from the from the Gulf to the North Atlantic. It's, it is yeah. quite the deal. It is. It really is. And it's going to some areas of the Midwest could see up to three, four inches. I think the ground is dry enough that it's going to take most of that in. But if it comes hard enough, fast enough, just be aware uh, of some potential for some high water out there as well. So, yeah. Wow. What a way to wrap up the week. huh? Uh, Corn just slightly higher. We had moderate, modest gains in wheat and then. Another kind of runaway move in soybean oil, which pulled beans higher, and and cotton did cotton things this week. Wait until you get the weekly change on this cotton market. It is remarkable. Another solid performance out of the cotton market this afternoon. That's right. That's right. Okay, man, let's get to the news. What do you got? Well, Chip, wheat futures opened slightly higher and after a quick drop to lower levels, recovered to post a high-range close. Early price pressure was credited to Russia's decision to stick with the U.N. agreement that allows for exports of Ukrainian grain. The price recovery started with reports of crop-damaging rains in Australia's wheat areas and continued when the U.S. dollar plunged after the release of the October jobs data. 
December SRW wheat futures traded in a 75 cent trading range this week and reacted wildly to headlines from Ukraine. Expect more price volatility in the week ahead and leading up to the November 19 grain deal deadline. December HRW wheat futures 12 cents higher, 953 and a quarter. December soft red up seven and one quarter cents, 847 and three quarters. December spring wheat closed at 954 and a half up 11 and one half cents. And Chip, you mentioned it this morning in the morning show. If you're trying to keep track of wheat, it could be a long road to November 19, bro. <laughs> That's right. That is exactly right. And it, Jim Wiesmeyer mentioned it in the free for all this morning. Um, it's how President Putin keeps his leverage in this deal because what he wants is greater access to the global markets for Russian wheat and, most importantly, for Russian fertilizers. So he's trying to balance the situation, uh, or I should say maintain leverage in the situation with his on-again, off-again, on-again, off-again attitude towards the deal. On the week, December SRW up 18.5 cents. December HRW up 28 and a quarter, and December spring wheat up just nine and one half cents. Hmm. Well, disappointing demand, limited buying interest in corn futures this week, and buying interest was limited at the end of the week, even with the U.S. dollar index trading sharply lower. December corn has spent very little time outside of the 682 $7 trading range in the past three weeks, and that is not likely to change ahead of the November 9 crop production and supply and demand reports from USDA. Chip, according to a survey by Reuters, traders expect on average just a slight downtick in the crop estimate from last month. Traders today also noted the unwinding of long corn short bean spreads. December corn futures one and three quarter cents higher, 681. March corn up two cents, 686 and three quarters. July corn futures closed at 682, up two and a half cents today. We went through about a three, maybe four week period where it felt like soybeans were underperforming compared to corn and wheat. Well, this week, there's no question that corn was the underperformer in the grain markets. December corn this week, <laughs> up just one quarter of a cent, and July corn on the week was up a penny and a half. Well, crude oil futures jumped back on the top side of 90 bucks per barrel, pulling soybean oil futures to the highest level since June 10 and to within range of resistance at the contract high of 79.29. Soybean meal jumped on the rally train today as gains in crush margins pushed January beans to a new high for the week and to the highest close since September 22nd. The close above resistance at 725 in January beans opens upside potential to the September 21 high of 1493 and one half. Crop watchers pointed to dry conditions in Argentina, Uruguay, and southern Brazil as a source of support for bean prices this week. January soybeans 25 and one quarter cents higher, 1462 and a quarter. March beans up 25 cents, 1469. July soybeans closed at 1478 and one quarter, up 24 and one quarter cents. Chip. You know, it did have a feel of, at least a bit of a feel, of a weather rally in that bean market this week. When you get gains of 62 cents this week in January soybeans and July beans up 58 and three quarters, that feels like a a weather-driven market. How'd they do on the week, you say? Up 62 cents in the Jan and up 58 and three quarters in the July. Outstanding. 
After starting the week with a slight dip in prices, December cotton futures finished with four consecutive days of sharp gains. Short covering seems to be driving the rally, although there is speculation cotton importers have finally stepped back in to the market. December cotton, 393 points higher, baby. 86.93. Chip, this has got to be an impressive performance on the week. Unbelievable. Up 1,482 points on the week. That is a 20.55% gain in value in one week. On the livestock side, December live cattle futures opened higher and traded through resistance at yesterday's high before turning back to the downside to post a session low close. Mostly steady cash cattle market this week. Disappointed bulls, but the rally in choice boxed beef prices to the highest level since August 8 will maintain expectations of higher cash bids next week. Deese fats, 30 cents lower, 151.65. Jan feeders up 20, 179.62 and a half. December lean hogs open moderately higher and on session highs before falling back to close below yesterday's low. December hogs, 40 cents lower, 82.97 and one half chip glory. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. December live cattle on the week up 127 and a half. Agritalk is brought to you by Bex. From farmers first pass in the field to the final pass at harvest. It's a game plan rooted in faith and belief. See why at BexHybrids.com. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on AgriTalk. The strength in this box beef market is probably going to be something that we're going to have to keep. We got music playing. Are we at the end of the... Oh, we're at the start of the one. Davis, did we just talk through the whole thing? I think Uh, we just talked through the whole thing. I think we left off at uh, beans. How'd beans do on the week? Did we get that? Did we get that (laughs) in? I think we got that. Did we? I, okay. I think we. I think we got that. Yeah, no question about it. But okay. that box beef market this week, it's it's still showing us some indications that we should be expecting higher prices next week. Mm-hmm. The cash lean hog index, however, was lower this week, and you know the lowest levels since February. I think it is oh. is what we're looking at. So okay. Um, yes, the ninety two thirty four on the cash lean hog index, the lowest. Since February 14th, so this the the rally that was taking place in the lean hog market. It's if you're looking for a reason for it to be under some pressure, it's because we've got that cash lean hog market mm-hmm. uh, under pressure again. So again, on the week, well, December live cattle up a buck twenty seven and a half. January feeder cattle down seventy five cents. December lean hogs on the week fell three dollars twelve and a half cents. That's a three point six three percent decline. But amazing move in cotton. 
Well, <laughs> cash lien hog index, uh, the yeah. lowest since February 14. I have it in here, here in my notes. Uh, February 14, in fact, is Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Very, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a, a, a phenomenal move in cotton, 20.55% in one week. Wow. After you beat a market up for as long as that market was beaten up, uh, the short covering is fast and furious, no question about it. Okay, let's go up to Minnesota. Dan Utech, New Vision Co-op, is our guest analyst today. Dan it's good to talk with you again, even if it is kind of a cold, rainy day. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Actually, the sun's shining up here. We were unfortunate. We kind of missed the rain. It got the street wet during the night, but uh, the way it sounds, and hearing you and Davis talk earlier, the rain apparently went to the south a little bit more. Man, I tell you what, we're getting a good one down here in northeast Iowa. Um, it's uh, slow and steady. Slow and steady. I don't know how much we've gotten at this point, but it could do this all night if it wants to. It, it, this is uh, this is kind of what most growers are looking for right now. And you know what? This is that kind of rain. I got a, a note from a buddy. He said, this is the kind of rain that's probably going to add a couple of points of moisture that's going to be the devil to get out of that corn if you've still got it out there in the field. He's probably right on that, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. It'll stick to it. But we, yeah. I don't know, satellite imagery around here showed less than a tenth of an inch. So we uh, yeah. didn't have much, but we're also probably not going to get out of the 30s today. So it's reminding us that it is November and fall is here. Yep, here it comes. Here it comes. How was the growing season? Tell me about it. Growing season was extremely variable up here. You know, we uh, we were dry, we were late, and uh, there were some areas that really suffered. Uh, if you wanted to look at yields in southern Minnesota, and I think you've probably seen this when you were on the crop tour, our, the New Vision facilities kind of go from Sioux Falls to Blue Earth, so right along Interstate 90, you know, about 20, 25 miles either side of that. And by far the best yields that we had in our area this year were over to the east, around that yeah. Fairmont Blue Earth area. There were guys over there that uh, harvested corn, I think record-type levels for their farms, better than a year ago. But then as you came west, it, it gradually came down. And right in the center of the territory, right around the Worthington area, you know, it was it was a good crop, but people were a little bit disappointed because it wasn't last year's crop. And then if you went a little bit farther west, as you went toward South Dakota, uh, there were some, a few spots okay, but for the most part, there's some pretty tough areas that definitely got drier. You know, if you go uh, into the northern part of uh, Nobles County, northwest corner, mm-hmm. uh hate to even say this but there were guys that talked about harvesting 50 bushel corn oh. and uh if you go to the if you go to the east it was 260 270 so mm. what a swing in your territory dan i mean yeah, it really, um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's got to complicate your logistics sums doesn't it well it does you know and unfortunately uh, you know, one of big one of New Vision's biggest internal users is our feed mill at Magnolia, Minnesota, mm-hmm. which sits in that Laverne area, getting into the, some of the drier area. You know, and our corn receipts were definitely down in that area because the crop overall was a little bit smaller. But when you get a smaller crop, you know, then the farmers are a little bit less re- reluctant to market. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you look at it, 
the livestock uh, wants to eat each and every day. So we have that steady supply of corn going through the mill, and it's a little bit of a challenge on some days to get enough corn going in there. Right. Yeah. That feed mill. Talk about that a little bit uh, for me, Dan. It, the 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 demand for product from that feed mill, is it slowing down at all at this point? No, in fact, it's increasing. Yeah. You know, we, we had a little bit of a setback as we went through that first year of COVID, you know, and I think a lot of that was tied to some of the pro- processing plants, especially on the swine side, being shut down or slowed down. But once they started coming around, you know, uh, margins most of the time have been been good for for the guys on that side. And we're not, we're not seeing new construction because lumber prices and everything went through the roof, yeah. and it's just not practical to build new facilities. But we, what we have seen is all the old ones are, are now, now, now full and being yeah. kept full. So, you know, our, our feed tonnage is, is up again this year, and uh, we continue to pick up new accounts, and it's it's going good. But there again, that's a steady stream of corn going through the mill, and, yeah. and we have to buy corn every day to keep it going. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, and the ethanol plants are still competing for corn up there, aren't they? Ethanol plants are still competing, and, you know, if you look at a at a margin chart on the ethanol industry, things have actually improved a fair amount, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, our, our corn basis as we went through the spring and especially the summer months, uh, just ridiculously, it was from a historical standpoint. I mean, we were eighty-five to a dollar over on basis, and you know that really cut into the ethanol margins at the time. But now, that's backed off as we went through new crop. Uh, like you talked about a little bit earlier, crude prices are still a little bit above ninety dollars. So ethanol guys are making money, but uh, the biggest demand pull that we're seeing right now on corn other than our local seed demand, and, and, of course, that ethanol demand is consistent, is, is the pull to the south. You know, it's uh, okay. the, the drought in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, all those states. Uh, they're looking for something to feed their livestock, and we're, we're seeing it on the corn side. We're also seeing it on the feed ingredient side with products like wheat mids and soy hulls. It, they, they've got to have something to feed the livestock down there, and, and they're coming north to find find where they can find the product and. It's it's hard to believe, but we've actually seen some corn out of southern Minnesota bought in a truck market that's going to make its way to the Texas feedlots. Oh, in the truck market. Holy that's smokes. A, that's a freight bill, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, no doubt about that. Is there any pull to the PNW for the exports? Well, there there is, but, you know, any, anything that you'd see on a corn bid going to the PNW – it, if, if you give it a chance, it's going to be matched by the feed market or the ethanol market. Actually, right now, I'd say the strongest market is definitely to the south for the feed side. And on the rail side, the, you know, the BNSF is the primary rail service out of our area going to the PNW. Uh, right now, the best corn market that we have is on the Union Pacific, and that goes through the Group, group 3 market in Nebraska. And, of course, we all know what the Nebraska corn crop was like. Normally, that Group 3 market, which feeds the domestic industry of the United States, normally they pick up the Nebraska corn first, and usually it's uh, late spring into the summer months before we see that Group 3 rail market come up into Minnesota. It's here today Mm. because there's just no corn to get in Nebraska. So creating some tremendous opportunities, I think, for our producers, but uh, 
we'll just have to wait and see as we go through the winter. It's uh, pretty dynamic Dan, out there right now, Chip. Dan, there's going to be crazy corn movement it, domestically this year. I, it, some of that Eastern Belt corn is going to have to make it this side of the Mississippi, isn't it? It, it will, and uh, both uh, Union Pacific and the BNSF railroads have already worked on, and I think they've published rates from the, from Illinois and the Eastern Corn Belt coming west. You know, the, that grain in the Eastern Corn Belt, especially corn, is not supposed to cross the river. This right. year it's going to cross the river. It has, it has to. Yeah. They, I, I, when, when we think about the feed yards, uh, I, I don't know what the alternative is at this point. Well, the alternative is is that we move, start to shift supplies or inventories from one end user into another. And if we do start to pull inventory from the ethanol facilities and send it into the feed market, you know, that's going to feel a lot like, you know, years like 1995, 96, a little bit like 2012, 13, when the reallocation of bushels in the cash market is what kind of took the strength out of the out of the market okay we are talking with dan utech new vision when we come back what do we do about all this we'll get it covered with dan on agritalk Time now for news of note from Pro Farmer. A former Chinese government epidemiologist said the conditions for China opening up were, quote, accumulating. The UN Food and Ag Organization Global Food Price Index ticked down in October. That's the seventh straight monthly decline. FAO also lowered its 22-23 global cereal grain production forecast from last month, led by declines in wheat. Two unions have rejected a proposed deal with railroads, while six have approved it. European energy prices jumped 108.2% versus a year ago, though that was actually down from 117.1% in August. The U.S. and Taiwan say they will hold in-person trade talks in New York next week, and Brazilian road blockades are compromising about 45% of the country's poultry and hog slaughter capacity. News of note taken from the pages of Pro Farmer. Get more at tryprofarmer.com. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. 
that number, of course, 855-482-552, followed by the number four, Agritalk. You can also send us an email, host at agritalk.com. Mm-hmm. Tweet at us, hashtag Agritalk in the message. You never give him my email. Sure to see it. It's davis.hatemail at hatemail.love. <laughs> what, what was that one more time? That's davis at hatemail.hatemail.love. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. We are in the middle of a conversation with Dan Utek <laughs> from New Vision up in Minnesota, New Vision Co-op. Uh, before we get back to Dan, let's go ahead yes. and recap where the market's closed. Chip, December HRW wheat futures, 12 cents higher, 953 and one quarter. December soft red wheat up seven and one quarter cents to 847 and three quarters. December corn futures, one and three quarter cents higher today, 681. July corn futures closed at 682, up two and a half cents today. January soybean futures, 25 and one quarter cents higher, 1462 and a quarter. July soybeans closed at 1478 and one quarter, up 24 and one quarter cents. Look out, December cotton, 393 points higher, 86.93, an outstanding week there. On the livestock side, December fat cattle, 30 cents lower, 151.65. January feeders up 20 cents, 179.62 and a half. December lean hogs, 40 cents lower, 82.97 and one half. That is your quick market recap. Back to the conversation. What say, Chip? All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Dan Utech, New Vision Co-op. Uh, is our guest today. Dan, when you're talking with members of the co-op up there about next year, about 2023, what drives that conversation? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the supply and availability of of fertilizer. We all know the prices are going to be high, but, you know, we have a rail terminal here at New Vision, and it's full of product, and I know our agronomy sales team has been out talking to folks and, and really asking them to look at the fact that if even if you bring the high inputs that we have right now for the 23 crop, if you look at where corn futures are and soybean futures are for next next spring, mm-hmm. actually the profitability is very possibly better than it was in 2022, figuring an average type yield. So, you know, we're encouraging producers to lock in at least a portion of those inputs and at the same time, go out and, and make some sales, you know. That's sure. uh, just basically what we ask the livestock producer to do, you know, lock in the hog crus- crusher if, if you're a swine yeah. producer. And here you lock in the crop crush. You buy your inputs and sell some grain. Yeah, yeah. That has been a very popular line of discussion here on AgriTalk, Dan. Uh, it, it it seems like it, it doesn't matter if you're in Ohio, Nebraska, Minnesota, Missouri, uh, that seems to be the plan of attack. If you're getting some inputs, go ahead and sell some crop. And if you're selling some crop, go ahead and get your inputs. Uh, don't do one without the other at this point. And that, that feels pretty legit as a strategy, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's a legit strategy, but it's, it's not comfortable. It's not what a lot of producers are used to doing, you know. I think old, old school would be you, you put your fertilizer on in the fall because a lot of times you have the time if the weather cooperates and the price right. is good. And then you wait to see if you get a spring or summer rally to, to price your grain. But a little different situation. Uh, you just don't want to expose yourself to these high input prices without having a grain sale against it. And, and the other side also because, 
you know, we just talked earlier about how, how dry it is everywhere, yeah. and we're getting a little bit of moisture dry in South America. Who knows? You know, we could have another challenging growing yeah. season coming in 23, so you don't want to do one side and leave the other one open. I think there's just too much risk ex- exposure there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about was the drought because you're, you are in an area where drought is expected to persist until the spring. I can't imagine the tiles are running much up there. Are they? I don't think they are because yeah. if you look at our creeks and streams and rivers, yeah. we don't have a lot of big rivers up here, but I know we have a daughter that lives in the Mankato area and you go up there and see the Minnesota river. I've, I've never seen it that low. You know, right. you drive from Mankato up to the Twin Cities, and you kind of follow that river the whole way, and and it's low. I've, I've yeah. you know, it's just unbelievable. Talked to a, a producer this morning, uh, south down by Sioux City area and stuff, and he said the same thing there. You know, the some of the I think it was the Floyd River that starts and and kind of follows Highway 60 down there, and said most of the places there you could probably walk across it and not get yeah. your ankles wet. So yeah, you know, it's it's, it's dry. Big but area. that's got to be th- that that whole idea of you know droughts start in the fall. Uh, that that's got to be on their mind as they're making plans for next year, isn't it? I think it is, but you know, I tell you, Chip, these uh, corn varieties, especially, I think they've really mm-hmm. uh, you know incorporated the genetics of drought resistance. This last year, we didn't have a lot of moisture and. And the ones who just caught a few lucky rains at the right time, I mean, they, they harvested 240, 250 bushel corn, and they're wondering yeah. where it came from. Yeah. So, you know, they're not giving up hope continually, but I, we, uh, honestly, we can't have another year like we've had right now without some crop damage. So we're going to need yeah. moisture, but, you know, we're entering winter, and th- this is kind of odd because most of the time people are reluctant to say they'd like to see snow, but this year, as dry as it is, we'll yep. take moisture any way it comes. That's right. That's right. Okay. What are your thoughts going in, going into next week's USDA crop production supply and demand reports? Well, you know, if we look at the last few crop production reports we've had, probably the last three since August on, we've had some, some big price moves either going into the report or the day of the report. And, uh, you know, you look at this bean market doing what it's done this week. You mentioned that up, uh, what, 60-some mm-hmm. cents. Yep. I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time getting real friendly with beans, just looking at what the potential is out of South America in that 23 crop. So, you know, I think a uh, producer needs to look at this thing closely. Uh, we've done some work here lately just to kind of look at, at what our local cash basis has done during harvest. And normally you think that harvest basis is a low point, but you know, from the end of September, basically, when our harvest started until the end of October, when a lot of the things were pretty well wrapped up, we've seen some dramatic basis improvement, 45 cents a bushel on corn and 20 cents on beans. So, you know, the, the market's definitely telling us if you've got some old crop grain, uh, yep. don't pay a lot of commercial storage when you see that type of basis move, because yep. it's time if you if you want to protect yourself against a possible drought market rally next year, probably better off to own it with an option or on some paper on a percentage of it because uh, the market's telling you that it kind of wants your grain now. Yeah, yeah. I have i don't recall a futures market that absorbed a corn harvest as as easily as this market did, and the way that the basis recovered from that initial tug to the downside when when – 
traffic slowed down on the Mississippi. Dan, this has been a pretty remarkable market, and and like you said in one of the notes that you sent earlier today, you know, there's a time to take a piece to take a piece of cake, and that is when the cake is passed. <laughs> it's That's it's right. right there in front That's of right. you. Take it. Yeah. yeah, and it just doesn't seem. I mean, we sit here today with. Uh, uh, not a real good market on corn for the week. You know, like I said, it moved a quarter cents, but we're still at 680 futures in Chicago. And if you look at the carryout that the USDA gave us in the last report, 1.1, 1.2 billion bushel, then add on to, onto this crop that we just harvested around 14 billion. Chip, you know, there's there's 15 plus billion bushel of corn available to the market right now, and we sit here at 680 futures. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. There's some people that think this market's probably still got some some life in it down the road, the way it looks to me. Yeah. Well, it's a stunning market. There, there is no question about it. I just don't want producers to be stunned to the point that they don't do anything with it. And there are some strategies that you can put in place. And the the whole idea, I think in a market like this is let's take advantage of the opportunity that is given us, but let's maintain some flexibility with, with a call option or some kind of a, an option strategy. Do you like that idea? Absolutely. You know, and, and if you look at, at even what you had mentioned earlier, uh, uh, for next year, crop year of, of yeah. uh, 2023, you know, at, at this 680 type level, if you look at a, uh, a price chart for the last five years, that that corn price of 680 puts you in the upper 10 percent of where the prices have been in the last five years, and even with bean prices around 14, 1450, you're up in, you're in the upper 25 percent. So it's not a time to get wildly bullish on this stuff. You know we've seen these markets do this before. Eventually, high prices cure high prices, and uh, we don't know when it's going to happen, but uh, we probably do know that since we've had good prices for the last couple of years. The day is coming closer for that correction at some point. Yeah. Slow, slow grain sales. It's got to be the, I mean, the market's doing what it, to me, it's doing what it should do and needs to do to attract some movement. But until some of these farmers have to sell, they're probably not going to, are they? Right. And I think that's, you know, if you look at the futures market, uh, corn and beans, both really, uh, pretty flat. You know, you have 681 December futures, you have 682 July futures. There's no carry in the futures market, so the basis is going to have to do the work. And at some point, you know, that that basis will possibly strengthen as we as we go into the spring and summer when, when farmers go to the field, demand stays cons- consistent. But at some point, the, the basis will get the demand covered, and that too will pass. So, you know, it's not something to take for granted. We have opportunities. If you look at a historical harvest basis in our area, uh, I went back and just picked a a random date in mid-October to kind of get a perspective and to pass on to our customers. And in 2018, in the middle of October, we were 50 under the December for a basis. 2019, 19, 19 under. 2020, 33 under. And then 15 or today, we're at 15 over. So, Good stuff. Dan, we will talk again soon. Thank you, my friend. Dan Utech. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Davis Michelson, let's go. Check All right. Boy, let's do. Let's do. It, it is it time for the Farm Journal College Roadshow. We're wrapping it up this week at the University of Missouri. I'm sure that Tyne Morgan loved to be home again. Thanks to Bex for making our coverage of the College Roadshow possible. Tyne is going to have full coverage this weekend on U.S. Farm Report. We tap into the University of Missouri and the ag economists down there on a regular basis. And one of the guys that we go to when we want to hear about what's happening in the livestock trade is Scott Brown, ag economist there at the University of Missouri. Scott, welcome back to AgriTalk, my friend. How are you? I am doing good, Chip. Thanks for having me on today, MIZ. Yeah, man. Yeah, all right. So let's. Uh, we're going to talk supply and demand of what's going on in this livestock market, and I actually want to start on the demand side because this choice box beef market, it, now it, it's showing some pretty amazing resiliency again here. The pork product market, it seems to be backing off just a little bit, but all in all, Scott, you – I'm impressed with the with the demand that we're that we're seeing. Absolutely, Chip. Boy, you you look at those markets, both of them, and you know you have to say consumers are continuing to want uh, beef and pork, and uh, it, it's been a good ride on the demand side. Let's let's hope it continues as we look forward. What's your biggest threats that you see out there to the demand side of the market? I, you know, Chip. I guess there's a couple of things. Number one, you know, these higher interest rates. We talk about what it means for. Uh, borrowing money for producers, but I, I worry about it choking off consumer uh, spending on food products, number one. And, and, and secondly, just now what we see is continued concerns about the general economy and what that means in uh, 2023 if uh, real GDP can, contracts as many are suggesting it will now. You know, do we at some point uh, find ourselves where demand ha- uh, isn't as strong as we've, we've been experiencing? You know, looking at the beef exports in particular, pork, they're okay. I mean, well, in in the last export sales report, pork sales were outstanding. But for the whole year to through, I think the latest the numbers that we got are through September. It's it just a spectacular year for beef exports, Scott. What's driving that? Well, I think you can uh, look at a lot of things, uh, but but I primarily stay focused on what's happening in China. 
you know, all of a sudden we, we find ourselves in this billion dollar club where we've been able to export on a monthly basis in value terms, a, a lot of beef. China has been part of that uh, discussion and I think will continue going forward. Uh, so even though we are talking about what's been a strengthening of the U.S. dollar against a lot of currencies, that that demand for beef. And, and I'll say I think consumers outside the United States are beginning to see what real good grain fed beef uh, tastes yep. like. And uh, once they've had that taste, they want more. Yeah. Well, American consumers figured it out, too. You know, during the pandemic, yep. staying home and buying good choice and prime beef. It, it feels like we may have a shortage of choice and prime beef in the marketplace right now. And, and Chip, that's going to get worse, right? As we look forward yep. into 2023, we're going to have even tighter supplies. So um, it, it's going to get tougher and tougher to find uh, uh, quality beef, I think, going forward. You know, let's move over to the supply side of the cattle market. Um, numbers going down into 2023, but I don't think we bought them in 2023, do we? So that seems to be where we sit right now, Chip. And and by by the way, you know, so drought's a big part of what we have going on, but let's not forget lack of profitability also factors in. And I think in some places you have producers who are deciding, hey, I I can grow corn and soybeans at these prices, maybe better than I can raise cattle. So a lot of factors at play, but, but, you know, when we see the number of heifers being slaughtered today and the number of heifers in feed yards, it tells me we're not building back anytime soon, and it could be 2025, 2026, honestly, Chip, before we even think about turning that corner. Yeah. It, are, are we, you know, we've been, we've been hearing the warnings for so long from the beef industry that, hey, if we don't put some profitability down there for that cow-calf guy, we're going to skip a generation. Are we skipping <laughs> that generation now? It kind of feels like we might. Yeah, so I, I may be wrong in, in, in this statement, but it seems like to me, you know, we have a lot of, of older producers that have typically had smaller herds who may be making the decision of it's time for me to be done. Yep. And I think those folks going out, the, the sons, daughters that might have been following are doing something else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think it's a big change coming to the structure of the, at least the cow calf side of the industry, that's typically been made up of a lot of small producers. We may wake up a few years down the road here, Chip, and find it much more consolidated, uh, similar to some of the other industries that we've talked about in the past. Yep. 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 We're going from my generation saying, dad, come on, you can't sell the cows to a generation that is saying, geez, dad finally sold the cows. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think that's a good way to put it, Chip. It's uh, and, and again, there's, I think a lot of the sons and daughters are saying there are better opportunities for me than, yep. uh, you yep. know, running that small beef cow operation. That's right. That's right. Real quick. What about the supply of market hogs? Any tightness coming there? So I think we're going to see a lot of sideways, you know, just the information that I, I continue to see, not a lot of build going, um, it, it, it seems like to me that we've kind of found a, a happy medium. I don't know if that was by luck or by uh, design, but, uh, you know, slowing what was once a very strong growth to really kind of match what I see available in terms of processing capacity, et cetera. Um, and, and so to me, that sideways maybe uh, spells some better opportunities for prices in the year ahead. Uh, I, I think exports could grow for 
on the pork side as we look ahead. And so maybe some good opportunities as we look in 2023. Very good. Very good. Scott, the next time we talk, it's going to be for a longer time. We're going to dig a lot deeper into some of these, but we sure appreciate you helping us celebrate the, uh, the stop at Missouri for the Farm Journal College Roadshow, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Chip. Good luck with Kentucky. Hey, we're going to get a win this weekend. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it, buddy. All right. That is Scott Brown, University of Missouri. Thank you so much for listening. Monday morning, Dan Bossy from Ag Resource Company and Greg Peterson, Machine Repeat, Monday afternoon, Don Close from American Ag Credit. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is AgriTalk. Talk.